All right. Hey, how about one more round of applause for our kids that helped lead us in worship this morning? Great job. So, and speaking of kids, let's go ahead and dismiss kids to children's church. So grade six and down, we've got something special for you. So you guys can be on your way. Thanks for being with us. And as the kids scurry off, uh, you're going to want to grab uh, your Bible or, or bring it up on your phone, whatever device you've got, um, or, uh, and also uh, hopefully you received some message notes when you came in. You're going to want to grab those uh, as we dig into this morning's uh, message. My name is Glenn, Glenn Barnes. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, just thrilled to be with you this morning as we open up God's Word um, together. So that last song that we sang, I Choose the Jesus Way, I Choose to Follow, or I, I Will Follow, is really what our theme is all about this year. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus, and what does it mean to follow after him? So we've said that we want to be with Jesus, we want to become like Jesus, and we want to do the things that Jesus uh, did. So that's what we've been talking about all year long, and we're going to continue with that um, this morning. But hey, I got to tell you, have you uh, heard about the guy who decided that he was going to give up donuts for Lent? So I don't know if you know, we're in the season of Lent right now. Uh, Lent is the 40 days leading up to Easter, and people in certain uh, Christian traditions will either give something up or fast some or fast from something uh, for those 40 days leading up to Easter. And so this guy decided, I'm going to give up donuts for Lent. And uh, that was hard for him because he loved donuts. He had one like every day, and but he's like, I'm going to sacrifice for the Lord. So he decides he's going to give up donuts, and he's about two weeks into this thing, and it is not going well. He is really struggling with it. And so he's up one morning and he's in his prayer time and he says, Lord, uh, I know you wouldn't want to keep from me something as good as donuts. And, but uh, I'm only going to have a donut if, if you want me to. And so, Lord, I'm going to need a sign. I need like a clear sign from you that it's okay for me to have this donut. And so he fin- finishes up his prayer time and, and he decides here's what he's going to do. The next morning, I'll just drive by the donut shop. And Lord, if there's a spot right in front of the donut shop, that'll be my sign from you and I can have a donut. So he gets up the next morning. He's really excited, drives by the donut shop. And you guys, it is a miracle. Fourth time around the block, there's a spot right in the front. <laughs> so... Well, hey, maybe you've heard that one before, but I bring it up because really I want to ask you this question. If you could give up anything, what would it be? And I'm not just talking about maybe for 40 days at at Lent, but if there is something from your life that you could just get rid of, maybe once and for all, what would that thing be? Maybe it's uh, some sort of addiction that feels like it's just kind of got its claws into you and it feels like it's always there. There's an anger that just bubbles up when you don't even expect it. It just is, is there or a bitterness towards someone who, who's hurt you in the past and, and, and you know you should forgive, but you just can't let go of this and it feels like it's, it's just got you. Maybe it's a depression that, that you roll out of bed to every single morning or, or uh, anxiety that's keeping you awake at night. Maybe it is some sort of, of addiction. Maybe it's, I, I'd love to just get rid of once and for all the alcohol or the pornography or the, the food. I just could, you know, if I could just move on from those things. Or maybe it's an insecurity that, that makes me feel like I, I never really fit in or I'm never going to be who God wants me to be. Or maybe the flip side of that, it's some sort of pride that makes you feel like you've always got to be first. You've always got to be best. You've always got to be at the front of the line. Well, whatever it is, I wonder as you think about that, if you have this sort of thought, because I know I do sometimes. You know, yes, I would love to 
get rid of that thing. But I've tried that in my life, and it's never seemed to work. In fact, I feel like I've tried and tried and tried, and every time it just comes back, what am I supposed to do about that? Well, hey, if that's the case for you this morning, I am so glad that you are here for this morning's message. I believe it's no accident that God has you here. Because unlike the guy at the donut shop, God actually has a sign for you and a sign for me this morning. And his sign is this, is that Jesus not only sees you in your struggle and knows your struggle and is with you in that, but Jesus has the power to overcome that. So as a church, in these weeks leading up to Easter, we are actually in a study called A Signs of the King, and it's based on the seven miracles that are recorded in the Gospel of John. But John doesn't call them miracles. He actually calls them signs. And he says, these are signs so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah or the King and the Son of God and that you might have life in his name. And so today we come to the third miracle in our little study, and the sign says this. It's a sign that's going to show us that Jesus loves broken and hurting people, and not just does he love them, he has the power to make them whole. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We have a ton of ground to cover in a, a, just a terrific story in John chapter 5. So I invite you to open up your Bible so you can follow along, make sure I'm saying it right out of John chapter 5. Um, but before we get there, let me just kind of set some of the stage, kind of help set the scene for what we're about to read. So in the first two signs, or the first two miracles uh, in John, there's, we see Jesus turning water into wine, and then Jesus miraculously heals the official's son, even from a far distance away. Both of those happen in the more rural region up in the northern part of Israel that they call the Galilee. Specifically, this is in the, the little town. These first two miracles take place in Cana. But now the action is going to move from kind of the slower-paced uh, rural Galilee to the more fast-paced big city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, of course, the capital uh, of, the, of the nation at that time. And not only is this Jerusalem, but this is Jerusalem during a festival. So there's a lot going on in this city. And at that time in Jerusalem, there was a place that they called the Pool of Bethesda, like Bethesda, Maryland. It was the Pool of Bethesda. And there was this large pool that was fed by an underground um, spring. And there was this superstition that the water had some sort of healing power to it. There's kind of a model of what those pools might have looked like at that time. They were surrounded by these colonnades and people could gather there because they believed that there was some healing power that took place at, at, at the Pool of Bethesda. So one author that I read said that you could have about 300 people that would gather around on a normal day around one of these pools waiting to be healed. But during the festival time, that number would definitely grow. And you could be talking about as many as like a thousand people with every kind of illness, every time, type of disability, all gathered together in this like one sad mix of suffering and desperation, all pooled together, no pun intended. So this pool was known as Bethesda. Now, Bethesda, the name means house of mercy or house of grace. Beth, Beth means house, and uh, Theta means either grace or mercy. And yet the reality is, I don't think it was either of those things. I believe it was more like this kind of cruel, elaborate scam that kept going on. 
Now, for years, archaeologists could not find this place that John describes, because John gives us some real specific descriptions about this pool. And for a long time, archaeologists couldn't find this, and they said, well, maybe John's made it up, maybe John's mistaken, maybe it's not real, until about the late 1950s, where they uncovered a place that looks like this, and uh, they discovered not only the pool, um, but they found that there was a lot of evidence connected to some superstitious beliefs about healing. There were a number of things that were there, not only the, 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 the water that would go back and forth from these springs that would cause the, the bubbling up, but they also said that this place was known as what you call an Asclepia. Asclepia. It's actually a, a pagan superstition that's based on the Greek god of healing named Asclepius. So an Asclepia in those times, I actually saw some of these when we were in Greece earlier this year. Um, the deal was you could come to an Asclepia and you could, whatever is bothering you, whether it's your arm, your leg, your knee, your foot, whatever it is, you could just kind of find that clay body part and you would find that, that part, and, and you would get it, and you would make sure that it's blessed, and then the belief was you could throw it into the pool, and somehow you would be healed by this. And so people would come from all over the place. Um, and they know this because when archaeologists started to uncover this place, what did they find? But all these clay body parts kind of scattered, scattered around this ancient pool by the sheep gate known as Bethesda. But you probably, if you think this through, would guess this. All of this took place for a certain fee, right? If you paid the money, you could get that part. And so rather, in my opinion, rather than it being a Bethesda, a house of mercy, it was more like a place of suffering. In fact, I heard one uh, preacher describe it like this. It was like a, a cruel pool. And yet if you're desperate and you're broken and you don't have anywhere else to turn, that's where you're going to go, and that was their only hope. So with all that kind of in mind as background, let's go ahead and read what John records for us. John chapter 1, I'm going to read, or John chapter 5, verse 1, we'll read the first nine verses, and it goes like this. Sometimes late, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colors colonnades. That's what they had a hard time finding, but we saw the picture of those five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been an invalid for 38 years, uh, including the one who'd been there an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat, and he walked. And the day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Well, isn't that a, an amazing miracle as we're reading these different miracles in the, the book of John? And this is John's account of a healing that came for a very specific person. This is the story about this man who we're told was an invalid, which kind of covers a broad variety of, of disabilities and sicknesses. Um, but this man was an invalid. He'd been there all these years. But I also want to suggest that, that as we read this, this man represents really in some ways all of us. 
So what I want to do this morning, it's quite simple. I just want to kind of make a few observations from this text that we just read, and then I want us to really ask together what I think is kind of the most important question that comes out of uh, this reading that we did. So the, just a few observations. The first one is about this man who's kind of at the heart of the story, and it's this. This man was broken, right? This guy had a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties in his life. That's why we say that he was broken. But then again, aren't we all? Right? This is a story about the man that verse 5 tells us was an invalid, but in some ways, we're all broken in one form or another. You know, I was thinking about this. Anywhere you go, you could go anywhere in the world today, and you will find broken people. You could be in Lodi, Italy. You could be in Lodi, New Jersey, or you could be in Lodi, California. You're going to find a common condition, and that is that people are hurting and struggling. You might use this word broken. Maybe they're broken spiritually. In fact, we know that we all are broken spiritually. We're created by God, by a loving God, to be in this great spiritual relationship with Him that comes out, bubbles out of our life with the things like love and joy and peace and and all of these things. And yet, as much as we want that, and maybe we have glimpses of it, We also know that there's this just kind of sinful stuff that keeps us from really encountering God the way that we know that we should. And that's because we're we're spiritually broken. We fall short of, of God. But we're not just spiritually broken, right? We're relationally broken. You don't have to look very far to see that relationships are hard. And maybe those are like sometimes the closest you know, most treasured relationships, a, a spouse or a child, or, or maybe they're just, boy, in this world, it is hard to get along because we are relationally broken. We're emotionally broken these days. We all know about the, um, the emotional um, mental health crisis that just seems to be everywhere. And, it, you know, you don't have to look that far to see in your own life and in the world this emotional brokenness. And then some of us are, are broken physically, like this man was in the story. And, and maybe that's you right now, maybe not, but ultimately it comes for all of us. And so this man um, was broken, but aren't we all? So I actually think as we study this, it's kind of interesting to do kind of a study of, of how this guy got broken, like what led to him being in the situation, the struggles that he was in. And I want to suggest uh, three things. And the first one is, is this guy was broken by life's circumstances. So we don't know his whole story. We only know what John gives us. But what we know about this guy is heartbreaking, right? It's, it's so difficult. It, he had been an invalid for how long? 38 years, 38 years. That means that he was likely brought to this pool as a child, right? Maybe by his parents who didn't know what to do with him or were at the end of their rope and just didn't know what else to do. And so there he goes. We'll just leave him here next to the cruel pool, and hopefully something would work there. Whether it was injuries or an illness, a condition from birth, maybe some big thing that happened to him, uh, we don't know, but we know that he was left hurting and helpless. And a lot of us have those same kind of things in our life. Maybe it's some big event that's happened to you, some traumatic event. Uh, could be something physical. could be something emotional. could be some just big life circumstance that's just left a lifetime mark on you. Or maybe it's just like the steady drip, drip, drip of life circumstances that just leave you feeling kind of beat up and discouraged and defeated. But we know life circumstances can just break us sometimes. Second thing we see about this guy is he was broken by other people. 
As I said, we don't know exactly who it was that dropped this man off at the pool, but here's what we do know. He must have felt very alone. What a sad realization for this guy that every time the water stirred, it stirred in him some hope that maybe this would be his chance. And yet before long, that would have just passed because he realized, oh, I still don't have anyone to to get me into the water. Plus these other people that I've been sitting here next, they're going to race past me anyways. Can you think of a sadder statement than, I don't have anyone to even get me in the pool. There's healing right there. I just can't even get there. He was broken by other people. Others always beat him there. He was abandoned. He was let down. I just jotted down a few words that maybe he would have described himself with. Forgotten, neglected, overlooked, alone, abandoned, pathetic. And as you think about it, some of us know that the wounds and the scars that come from other people sometimes can almost be worse than the wounds and the scars that that come from physical things, right? And I I was thinking about Mother Teresa, who cared for uh, physical people or cared for physical needs throughout her life. Um, This is what Mother Teresa said about this. I love this quote. She said, the biggest disease today, it's not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of being unwanted, uncared for, and deserted by everybody. The greatest evil is the lack of love. And if you think about that, it's about 40 years ago that Mother Teresa said that. Think about the way that our society has gone relationally in the last 40 years. We're more splintered. We're more isolated. We're more emotionally fragile. So that, that pain from other people has only gotten worse and only, you know, kind of pushed us down the expressway. But it's not just life circumstances. It's not just other people. This guy is broken because of time. You know, the, John, and as we study these miracles, it's fascinating. John includes all kinds of details. And he includes this detail that we've already mentioned a few times, that it was 38 years that this guy had been sick. For 38 years. You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm sick for like a week... I think the world is coming to an end, right? Now, granted, I'm a man, and so I get sick a lot worse than other people, right? You know, when a man gets sick, it's not easy at all. We got, you know, real struggles with that. But yeah, I mean, seriously, this, you, know, you get sick, and you think, oh, this is ever going to go away. But the reality is for 38 years, no hope. And this guy was just broken and beaten by time. And Jesus comes to the pool, and he zeroes in on this one man, and he asks him this penetrating question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And that little phrase, get well, another translation uh, could be, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole. Think of the irony about that. Think about this place that's scattered with all these dismembered body parts just scattered all around. And Jesus looks at him in the eyes and he says, can I put you back together? Would you like to be made whole? Think about even the language that we use when life is tough. We say, I am falling apart. I am just falling apart here, right? Or, Or we say, I'm disintegrating. I'm just, just, I'm coming apart at the seams. And Jesus recognizes, and he knows that feeling, and he looks this man in the eyes, and he says, you know what? Do you want to be made whole? Because that's my specialty. I'm in the specialty of making people whole again. So that's our first observation about this text. This man was broken. I think we could all agree with that. You know, it's easy to look at this desperate man and think probably what a lot of us think is, whoa, I'm glad I'm not that guy 
right? And my life is definitely better than that dude, right? And, and that's probably true. For the vast majority of us, we're not as desperate as the man that we see here. But the point I was trying to make is whether it's circumstances or people or time or something else, we're all hobbled, right? We're all walking with a limp one way or another, and that's what we see about, the, about this man. So, uh, this man was broken. That brings us to the second observation that I want to make, and it's good news. Jesus, you guys, He loves broken people. Jesus loves broken people. Think about this. You have to get a guess. Most aspiring prophets, most like wannabe messiahs, people that are trying to build their brand, people that are trying to to gain a following, if they were to come into Jerusalem for a festival, they probably wouldn't make their first stop the Pool of Bethesda by the Sheep Gate, right? If you're trying to gain a following, and Jesus is probably about halfway through his ministry here, and so, you know, people are starting to pay attention, it would have been much more natural for him to go to, like, the Temple Mount, where all the beautiful and kind of the put-together and the influencers and the powerful people were. He should have gone there. That's where you go to build a, a following. But Jesus shows up down from Galilee into Jerusalem, and the first place he goes is to the wrong side of the tracks. He goes down by the sheep gate, right, where they bring the sheep in, because that's where the pool of Bethesda is, because that's where the hurting people are, and that's where the broken people are, and Jesus loves broken people. Now, of course, as you think it through, it's no surprise that Jesus would have gone there. He's been telegraphing this from the beginning of his ministry. He keeps saying stuff like this. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick, right? So no surprise that he goes to the sick. Or he says when he launches his own ministry in Luke 4, he says it like this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to what, the healthy healthy and happy and have it all together? No, good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so Jesus loves broken people. And if you think about this, if Jesus, our rabbi that we want to follow, loves broken people, you know what that means about his followers? We need to love broken people as well. We need to love the hurting and the struggling and the desperate And yet, here's the thing, and you probably know this to be true. It's easy to say that as a point in a sermon. The reality is, it's hard to love hurting people at times because it's it's just challenging. There's no, like, easy step one, two, three for helping someone through a a crisis or helping someone through a, a struggle. If you think about it, our addictions, our character defects, our, our problems in life, our conflicts, most of those things didn't just happen overnight. So they don't get cured overnight, right? They take someone to walk with you. They take work in the steps. They take doing the things to actually get healed, and that's hard. It's hard to walk through those things with someone. And the reality is, is people that are hurt and hurting, they do what? They hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And that's true with this. How, you've helped people in the past. I'm sure you've tried to help someone, and you think you're doing your best, and, and they just even reject it. They don't even want it, or they're mean about it, or they'll take two steps forward, and then it feels like they just take five steps back. But here's the thing. Jesus never gives up on us. 
Jesus never gives up on me. He's never going to give up on you. And so we can't give up on other people. We follow in the footsteps of our rabbi. And if Jesus loves broken people, we love broken people as well. So that's the second observation. The third one is this, and I think this is where it starts to really get good, is that Jesus doesn't just love broken people and kind of sympathize with them and come down and kind of feel bad for them. But Jesus, you guys, makes broken people whole. Jesus makes people whole. Now, we live in a day, not only with a lot of brokenness, but we live in a day with a a real strong victim mentality that's out there. We love to point the finger and to blame other people for our stuff. Now, even on a morning like this where we've already highlighted that sometimes the difficulties and struggles that we face in life come from life circumstances or they come from other people. They were nothing that we did. It was something that was done to us. Maybe it's just time. But even as we highlight that that's a reality, that stuff comes at us, we can also, if we're not careful, use that as an excuse to just stay on our mat right? To just kind of stay stuck in that stuff. And I want to be really careful here. I do in no way want to be insensitive uh, as we talk talk about the trauma and the difficulty that you may have gone through in your life. Because you may have faced trauma that is beyond anything that I will ever understand. It may have been entirely unfair. It may have been horrible and horrendous. And I hurt for that. And I am so sorry for that. And yet the trauma that we endured may always be a part of our story, but it doesn't have to be our future. It doesn't have to be where Jesus is taking us. It's so easy to point the finger at other people and say, I'm that way because what happened to me. But if we're not careful, we begin to accept it and and just kind of get stuck in that. And I love what Jesus does. I love what Jesus does because he comes to this man. He finds the most broken guy in the place where all the broken people were. But he acknowledges his pain, but he doesn't leave him in it, right? Jesus finds this desperate guy. And what does he say to him? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole? Uh, He's concerned. He feels his past, but that's not the question he asks. It kind of reminds me of this uh, painting by a 17th century uh, Spanish painter who paints this scene. And if you look at the man, when I look at kind of the man down on the mat, he's got his hands out like this. It's almost like he's making the excuse. I don't have anyone to put me in the water. Of course I want to get well, but I, nobody will help me, and I get so close, and someone always beats me, and my parents just left me here, and all of these things, and, and you just kind of feel him pouring out this. And I can almost just hear Jesus saying, oh, I'm so sorry for that. That's not what I asked you. Do you want to be made whole? But look about all these people around here, and don't look at them, Jesus says. Look at me. Do you want to be made whole because I do that. I make broken people whole. Not only do I love them, but I can fix them. I can, I can make it end. I can make it stop. I can change things from here forward. Now, John doesn't include what this man's answer is, but for me, there had to be seeds of faith in it because the very next thing that Jesus says is this. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful story? I hope that you love that as much as, as I love it. Um, 
Hey, as we kind of head towards home here, I heard a great message um, on this that was really helpful to me in kind of understanding some of what this man might have had to go through. And it was really helpful to me, so I was thinking it might be helpful to you, so I thought I would share uh, some of these points that I heard, especially as we think about this idea of leaving behind our brokenness and leaving behind our pain, whether it's a broken heart or a broken dream or a broken behavior that just keeps coming back or a broken relationship. Because Jesus, today Jesus looks, I believe, at all of us and ask us that question, do you want to be made whole? So what I want to do is I want to look at kind of a three-step process that was suggested that this guy went through. And the first thing is this. The first thing, uh, if you want to be changed, is you have to admit that what I'm doing isn't working. I have to admit that what I'm doing isn't working. Now, again, this man, as far as we can tell from the story, had been trying the same thing for a long time. Whether he'd been at the pool all 38 years, we don't know, but you get the sense that he'd been at this place for a long time trying the same thing, trying to get in that water. And the funny thing is, it wasn't even a real solution, right? It wasn't going to necessarily heal him, but he just had this belief. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the 12-step definition of insanity, right? You know this, that that I'm going to do the same thing over and over again, but expect a different result. That's just not how life works. My friend uh, Steve Plath, who leads our, our recovery ministries here, uh, Celebrate Recovery, uh, I've seen him have this conversation with, with people many different times, caught in some sort of struggle or behavior and, and not necessarily willing to leave that behavior behind. And, and so he asked the question, hey, how's that working for you, right? How's, how's the way things are going for you? Is that, how's that working for you? And I think about it, and I think about, you know, the stuff that we try to do on our own power right? I'm good. I'm strong. I'm over here, I'll, you know. And so I'm going to fix my marriage on my own power. I'm going to stop the pornography on my own power. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to heal this relationship. I'm going to get rid of this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do all of that on my own power. I'm going to give it to God, and I'm going to pray real hard, and, and I'm going to do this. And if that's been how things are for you, can I just ask you a question? How's that working for you? How's that working for you? Because that's not the way it works. But what we see is that this first step is just admitting, hey, what I'm doing isn't working. There's actually great freedom in that because then that makes us ready to take the second step that we see that this guy takes, that Jesus leads him to. And that second step is to ask myself, do I want to be made whole? Do I really even want to change? That's a key question here. Now, on the surface, this may seem like a strange question to ask the guy. Maybe it even feels like a little rude or cruel for Jesus to ask this guy who's laying on his mat for 38 years, do you want to be made whole, right? But though, at least the way I take it, Jesus is asking him an honest question because he needs to know the answer, right? Who, you think, well, who doesn't want to be healed? But a lot of us, right? And so Jesus asked him the question, do you really want to change? Now, I'm, I'm not a counselor, but I know a lot of counselors that could give you a big list of reasons why people don't change, right? Because especially if you're standing on the outside, you can see someone stuck in this thing and you're like, all you got to do is this. And, you know, you could get there and they just refuse to take that step. Why do we do that? Well, again, I, I heard kind of four things that were brought up, and they were helpful to me, so I thought they'd be helpful to you. Um, Why do I not want to be healed from my afflictions? What keeps me from that? And and the first uh, thing is this, is I just am real familiar with my affliction. I don't want to move on from it because it's just kind of part of who I am. It made me think a little bit about this uh, t-shirt that I rescued from the very back of the very bottom of my t-shirt drawer, and I hide it there. And you know why I hide it way down there in the back where nobody can find it? 
because if I don't hide it, Janny is going to throw it away. <laughs> and that's wrong and mean because I love this t-shirt, right? I mean, look at this thing. I'm so familiar with it. We've got great times together, me and this t-shirt. We've been through a lot. It's like one of the original Love Lodi shirts. And, you know, I've done yard work in it. I've done all kinds of stuff in it. It's got a few stains. It might even smell a little bit bad, but it's mine and I'm comfortable with it. I'm familiar with it. So I'm going to hide it way down in the back so that nobody can see it and nobody can deal with it until I bring it out. And isn't the way that, that the way that we deal with our infirmities? Don't look at me. I know, men, you've got like five of those shirts at home. So don't look at me like that. But um, isn't that the way we deal with our stuff too? We're like, man, I'd love to get rid of this stuff, but it's kind of just kind of familiar with it. It's kind of comfortable. It seems too hard to get rid of it. So I'm just going to bury it down there where nobody will see it. And maybe they'll smell it before long. But um, another reason we don't want to get healed from our afflictions, even when we have the opportunities, is I get identified with it. You know, after all these years, this guy's identity was certainly wrapped up with his condition and his disability. It's hard to change from things when you're just stuck in that same pattern for, for so long. And, and it's hard to, to break those old habits. And, and a lot of our flaws, we tend to just kind of accept them. And we even kind of apologize for them. We say like, oh, you know, I'm just Italian or I'm just German or I'm a, just a redhead. So I run hot or my dad was angry and his dad was angry. So I guess I'm just an angry guy right? And we kind of identify with it, even like our character defects. We just kind of almost celebrate them and accept them. In fact, I'd like you to just kind of quietly um, finish this statement uh, for yourself. And the statement goes like this. It's just like me to always be blank. And then you fill in the answer. It's just like me to always be worried. I'm just a worrier. I've always been that way. I'm just a worrier. It's who I am. It's always going to be that way. It's just like me to be jealous. It's just like me to get my feelings hurt and feel left out because, you know, I just, you know, I'm never good enough. It's just like me to put people down and try to boost myself up by making them feel bad. It's just like me to be a workaholic. I'm going to show everybody my worth by doing these things. It's, that's just the way I've always been. But here's the thing. We let our defects define us, and Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus defines us by our identity in Him and our relationship with Him. So sometimes it's hard to give up because we just say, ah, that's just the way I am. But Jesus sees more. Jesus sees more in you than you even see in yourself. The life that we live, the defects, the struggles that we're in, that's not what we were created for, right? God created us for more not to be stuck in those patterns, not to be a slave to those things. He created us for freedom. And yet we say, ah, it's just kind of the way I am. A third reason we kind of just accept that and keep moving on is we get discouraged by that. We get discouraged by it. And I get that because you're like, oh, I've tried this before. I've prayed that prayer. I've laid it at God's feet. I've done these things before. It's just still still there. But I love what Jesus does with this man because Jesus tells this man, hey, take up your mat and walk. It's almost as if Jesus is saying to him, don't leave the mat there anymore. You're not coming back for it. You're going somewhere new, 
right? You don't have to be discouraged by it. This is an opportunity for you to be made whole. And then the fourth reason why uh, people will tell you people don't choose to move on from their uh, afflictions and struggle is, is there some reward that goes with it? Whether it's the pleasure that we receive or the feeling of control or power uh, or just maybe just some peace to think, you know, you know, when I take that first drink or I smoke that first joint or I click on that side, I, ah, finally I'm going to get a little bit of peace. And so, It's hard to leave those old life behind. You know, this man had been there for all of these years. He likely made some sort of living probably as a beggar there. And so Jesus has to ask him the honest question, are you ready to leave the old stuff behind? Are you finally ready to move on from this? Because if you are, do you want to be made whole? And so finally, when you realize that what I'm doing isn't working, that I'm powerless to heal myself, when you come to the conscious decision, yes, I want to be made whole, and I'm ready for the change, there's actually a very beautiful biblical word that describes that. The word is repentance. Repentance. Now, repent or repentance gets kind of a bad rap in our world today because we associate it with all kinds of maybe even judgmental or harsh things, but repentance is actually really a beautiful thing. It's going to mean that we have to give up some stuff that we're connected to. I never in any way want to, to downplay the idea that turning to God means that we are turning away from those old things. There are sins that we have to say, I'm going to turn in another direction. But here's what I want you to think about when you think about repentance. Not only are you turning away from the junk and the garbage and the stuff that we're not created for, when you make that turn, you're turning toward something beautiful and someone beautiful. You're turning away from hurt and toward healing. You're turning to a solution. You're turning away from the cruel pool into the hands of a Savior full of grace. And so then what do you do? Well, the third point is this. I act in faith. Jesus extends that offer to us. And all we can do is respond in faith. And that's what Jesus is looking for. I act in faith. And I'd add to that statement just one step at a time. Whatever is the next right thing to do, God, give me the faith to do that. I want to move towards you, Jesus. So here's what I do. I decide that I'm going to take a step and I'm going to go to the group, right? I'm going to go to the thing that I've been putting off. I'm going to make an appointment to see the, the counselor. I put in your notes the, all the contact information for our lay counseling program. A great group of people in our church would love to, to talk with you about whatever kind of struggles you're going through. And, and they've got a phone number as well as a website where you can uh, go do that. So maybe the next step of faith is I'm going to make that appointment. I'm going to see that counselor. I'm going to talk to the pastor. I'm going to have the hard conversation. I'm going to come clean to a friend. I'm going to get accountability. I'm going to delete the app. I'm going to add the filter. I'm going to throw away the bottle. I'm going to choose new friends. Whatever it is, I'm going to take the next step in faith. In fact, in your notes, there's just a little place for you, between you and God, to write down what would that next step be. Because if we don't write it down, if we don't make that commitment, it's really easy to just breeze by that. But that's what Jesus says to him. He says, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Take the next step. And so the so what question is clear and obvious. Do you want to be made whole? Because the solution and the power is there in Jesus Christ. All that's left for us to do is to pick up our mats and to walk. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much 
for this wonderful sign that you've given to us in your word. It's a sign that tells us we can be free and that you love us and you give us the power and strength to move on from the things that have held us as slaves. So, so Father, for myself and for my brothers and sisters all around this room, those watching online, Father, I pray that you would work in a way that we would not only hear your invitation, but Lord, just give us the seeds of faith. We may not feel it strong. There may be a great battle going on even in our souls right now, but Father, we pray that you would give us the seeds of faith to take the next step to you because we trust that you're going to meet us there. So, Father, as a congregation, we want to be a people that, that, that move on. We don't want to be stuck in our junk. Father, we want to move to the life that you have for us. So I pray that you would give us that strength now. Father, we love you. We thank you for this example. We pray that we would see it in our lives as well for generations to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.